Well, once again, I want to welcome you here, especially those of you that are visiting. Welcome over in the venue. I'm glad you guys are there. Ben, appreciate you leading worship um, over there. Pastor Bobby, thank you for pastoring over there this morning. Um, before I get into this, let, let me just uh, share a little bit about our Saturday night venue, which is really geared to those that are newly married, maybe within the past seven years, or those of you that are engaged. Um, that, that, that's just an incredible environment there on, on Saturday nights. Um, you, you get to hang out with other couples that are your age. You get to mix it up with our, uh, our pastor, Mark Clements, and his wife, Tammy. There's always a moment over there where you're going to deal with some of the, the issues that come up when you're newly married. It really is a fantastic environment. And what happens is, is you can go to church on Saturday night, and then you, you really have Sunday to enjoy each other, enjoy your family. It really becomes a, a real Sabbath for you on, on Sunday mornings. And I just want to encourage you. If uh, I know you, some of you are going, you know what? Sunday mornings, what works best for me, and I love the choir and the orchestra, or maybe over in the venue, and you like the environment over there and all that, and Sunday morning works for you. I, I, I just would ask you to pray and, and really consider that maybe there's, um, if you look long term, not, not short term, but if you're looking in the long term, I just believe it'll be a great thing for the health and well-being of your marriage and your family. And it's uh, really great over there, and that's on um, Saturday nights at, at 6 o'clock. Um, anyway, we're in a series here at Big Valley Grace where we're looking at what God says about certain topics. Um, usually about once a year, about 18 months, I try to do a series on questions that you ask me. I get lots of emails and texts and phone calls after service. People will say, hey, Pastor Rick, you know, what does the Bible say about this? Or what does the Bible say about that? Or, hey, why don't you do a series on this or a series on that? And I, I try to file all that stuff. And I go back through it, and I believe that's one of the ways that the Lord speaks to me about what I ought to teach on is, you know, we're all in this together. This is your church. It's my church, you know. This is the one that we attend. And, and so um, uh, the, these are the, the topics that really seemed to be the ones that you've been asking a lot about. Um, so far, we've looked at three things. Uh, number one, we looked at what God said about abortion, uh, life. Uh, then we looked at what God says about himself. And John Byron did a fantastic job with, with that. Then last week, Pastor Joel Boone looked at what God says about me, which was unbelievable. If you were not here, you, you need to uh, go online and watch it for free. Go to our app or, you know, on your smartphone and watch it for free. Or if you've got five bucks, it's burning a hole in your pocket. Go out there and buy the, 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 the CD or the DVD, because that was just really, really great. And today, we're going to look at what God has to say uh, about heaven. And to get us started... Um, we sent a crew out uh, to Monterey and all of these, uh, you know, questions that we're answering. We wanted to know what the average guy on the street thought about it. And so we just went out with a microphone and said, hey, what, do you, what, what does God say about heaven? What does God say about hell? What does God say about uh, the afterlife? Or what do you think about all of that? And so check out the jumbotrons. <laughs> kind of a circle. I'm a bit of a reincarnationist, so I don't think we ever end or begin. I think it's just a continuous circle. Well, I want to hope we go to heaven. Well, my faith says there's heaven. My uh, analytical brain, I guess, questions that sometimes. I do believe there is an afterlife. I do believe it's... I haven't thought about this in a long time. I don't know. Who knows? We'll find out. We'll all find out. <laughs> I'd like to believe that there's an everlasting life and there's a heaven, uh, and I choose to believe that. But uh, to be honest, at times there's moments of, I guess, scientific analytics that says, well, how can that be? But uh, I usually try to rely on my faith that there is. I was raised uh, in the Reformed tradition, and we, we believe that nobody knows for certain, that it's a mystery, and we can look at life, and, and figure out 
whether we see evidence of recycling and and of course we can hope that there's something after but I was raised Catholic to believe that you go to heaven and you sit with God and um, he judges you and everything but in everything else I believe in I mean my son became a born-again Christian and listening to him and everything that's happened with the Catholic Church I cannot believe that you die and that Jesus is going to judge you on everything. I just can't believe that that's how Jesus is. I believe there is a form of it, but I don't believe the hell that's in fire that a lot of people say. I believe that off on the, like hell is like something that you created. How you live your life is how you live your life. And if you're going through hell down here, that's your hell. And how you are to people, I choose to be nice to people no matter how they treat me. So if I live a good life, that means I'm doing exactly what Jesus wanted me to do. If I live a poor life, then I'm not doing what Jesus wanted me to do. So that's how I live my life. You know, I wonder um, if we had a mic up right here, or we stuck a mic in your face, you know, what would you, what would you say? Now, because we're in a church, because most of you are members here at Big Valley Grace, I, I, I'm pretty sure I, I know what most of you would, would say. Uh, I do want you to know most polls uh, say that um, the overwhelming majority of Americans believe that there is a heaven. In fact, about 85% of all the people in America believe that there is a heaven, which makes sense because everybody knows that someday they're going to die, right? So if you know you're going to die, you, you, you want to hope that there is a place like heaven, whatever that might, might be. Uh, but but there's, a, there's a problem, there's a huge problem, and that's what a lot of people within that 85% believe about heaven. I mean, it's unbelievable some of the stuff that is taught out there. Over the last, uh, I don't know, three weeks, I've read a lot of magazine articles about what some people think about heaven, and most of it was just malarkey. I've uh, read a, a few books on heaven, and the majority of them were just really, just nutty. Um, I've uh, read a number of blogs, and just crazy stuff out there. I've listened to some messages from some folks that, um, they're in a building like this, I got a cross out in front of their building, you know, they might even have a choir like we've got, an orchestra like we've got, they've, they've got a pulpit like this, uh, they, they even have a book like this. And I've heard some messages from some guys that are called preachers that were just flat out blasphemous, they were just nutty, what, what, what was being taught. There's a lot of really bad information out there about heaven. So the question I want to deal with today is, what does God say about heaven? When, when you look at the scriptures, what, what does God say about heaven? And more specifically, what, what does God say about how you get into heaven? Because there's also a lot of bad information out there um, about that. Now, one of the interesting things that I found over my 30 years of ministry here at Big Valley Grace is that most people, most Christians, aren't that excited about heaven or not that excited about, about going to heaven. It seems that most people are way more interested in planet Earth than they are about heaven. And on some plane, that makes some sense. I remember uh, I was doing some marriage counseling or premarital counseling, this is a number of years ago, with this couple. And uh, out of nowhere, in the midst of this marriage counseling, they were both virgins, and um, the guy says to me, hey, I was wondering um, if you thought we were in the end times. Do, do you think that the rapture could happen at any moment? And I went, you know, what does that have to do with, you know, marriage counseling? I mean, that, that doesn't seem to go well. He had overheard his parents talking about the end times and the rapture and all that, and so he said, uh, do you think it could happen at any moment? And I said, well, I, it, it can, it, it, and I'm gonna, that's one of the things we're gonna talk about, you know. Uh, we're gonna talk about the end times here in a few weeks, Lord willing. And I said, well, why? And he goes, well, I, I don't know if this is wrong, but I'm sure hoping 
that the rapture doesn't happen until after the honeymoon. <laughs> you know, uh, some of you don't get it, but uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, one of the things about planet Earth is that there are some, some nice things. God has created some nice things. Certainly the sexual relationship between a man and a woman in the context of marriage is a beautiful thing. It's a great thing. People love the beauty of a sunset, right? We, we, we love the beauty of a sunset. Even though that sunset has been tainted by sin, we still love the beauty of it. People love the beauty of the oceans and the beauty of the mountains, right? I mean, who doesn't like going over to Carmel and looking at the oceans? Or who doesn't like standing on the beach in Hawaii looking at that beautiful blue water? We love that. We love looking at the grandeur of, you know, El Capitan, right, in Yosemite. We, we love that. It's beautiful. Even though the oceans and the mountains have been tainted by sin, we still love the beauty of them. People love the, the beauty of flowers. I'm one of them. Uh, I, I'm, for whatever reason, just really taken with flowers and, and, and you know, the, the, the vibrancy of colors and how beautiful they are. And I understand that they've been tainted by sin. I think someday, you know, as beautiful as a Gerber daisy is right now, my mind's going to be blown when I get to heaven and I see a Gerber daisy that hasn't been tainted by sin. People love the, the beauty of animals, right? I mean, we all love our dogs and our cats and our hamsters and, and whatever pets we got around the house, man. We, we, we love them. People love the beauty of relationships, don't we? Whether it be between our, our spouse, it could be our children, it might be our grandkids, our grandpa, our grandma. We love the, the beauty of the friendships that we have, and, and they are beautiful, now, every relationship has been, has been broken by sin, tainted by sin, if you will, but we still love them. They bring us incredible joy and, and uh, all of that. People love the things of planet Earth, even though everything's been broken and tainted by, by sin. Why? Why do people love the things of Earth so much, even, even though they're all broken? Why do we as believers at times really get you know, caught up with the, the things of earth. Well, there are many, but let me just give you two. Number one, we love the things of earth because it's all we know. We, we don't know anything else. This is all I know for 50, you know, two years. This is all I've known. I don't know anything else. Yes, everything's been tainted by sin, flowers and the ocean and, 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 you know, the sunsets and relationships and animals, you know, you pick it. It's all been tainted by sin, but it's all I know. So I, I can't understand how cool heaven really is. A lot of people can't really grasp heaven because this is all we know. And, and the second reason why I think it, it, it's difficult to really, you know, hip, hip, hooray heaven is because of Hollywood. We all have a, a warped idea of heaven because of how Hollywood or the media has portrayed heaven. I mean, Hollywood has given us this idea that heaven is a, a place that's void of color, right? It's white. And we evangelicals, you know, have taken that and said, man, don't add any color to the church. Let's make sure everything's taupe, you know? Because color could be evil. I mean, if you really make something beautiful, we just dumb everything down to some degree. I've, um, I've thought about some of the movies that, are, that have come out of Hollywood that portray heaven as not only this place that's all white, but there are clouds, and everybody's kind of got wings on, and we float from cloud to cloud playing a harp, you know? And uh, let me just tell you something. To, to me, if heaven was all white, void of color, and we had wings, and we floated around from cloud to cloud playing a harp, to me, that's hell, okay? <laughs> I got ADD, and I just, I, I couldn't imagine doing that for like a day, let alone for all of e eternity, right? I mean, unbelievable. Um, 
So today what I want to do is I want to look at the real thing. It's my prayer that somehow when I'm done, you'd have a better idea or a more accurate idea, if you will, of what heaven really is, is like. The Bible says this in Colossians chapter 3. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven. And yet underline those three words. The realities of heaven, where Christ sits. Christ is seated now. There's this imagery of him seated right now in heaven at the place of honor at God's right hand. Listen, those three words, the realities of heaven, are what I kind of want to deal with. Not, not what Hollywood thinks of heaven or what some artist thinks about heaven or what, I don't know, Oprah thinks about heaven or Dr. Phil or, you know, whatever. I, I want to talk about the realities of heaven, what God has to say about heaven. And what I want to do is, is I'm going to answer them with some questions. And these questions I've, I've taken from what our children always ask me. Whenever I get together with children and, and you know, one of their big questions is about heaven. And these are the questions that children ask, and so I'm going to lay it out uh, that way, okay? So here we go. Question number one is, what is heaven? What is it? And that's a good question. Well, the Bible tells us a, a lot of things about heaven, but I'm going to zero in on three, okay? Number one, reality number one, heaven is a real place. It's a real place. In John chapter 14, Jesus said, hey, guys, don't, don't be worried and upset. Believe in God and also believe in me. There are many rooms in my Father's house, and I'm going to prepare a place for you. I would not tell you this if it were not so. And after I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come back and take you to myself so that you will be where I am. You'll be in that place that, that I am. Beloved, Jesus said, I'm going to go prepare a place. He didn't say that he was going to go prepare a state of mind or that he was going to go prepare a, a state of being. Jesus said he was going to go and prepare a place. And the first reality that we need to grasp is, is that heaven is a real place. It's not a state of mind. It's not a state of being. It's not some disembodied condition where you just kind of float around without a body. It's not nirvana or some dreamlike state. It's not nothingness, you know. It's not a, a feeling. Heaven is a real place. In fact, the Bible says that in heaven there are streets, there are trees, there's water, there are homes. There are many scriptures that allude to the fact that animals will be there. You'll have a new glorified body when you get to heaven. Heaven is a real, physical place. It's not a state of mind. It's not a dreamlike place. It's not nirvana. It's not nothingness where you're just kind of floating around and, you know, you're in, in some subconscious way. It's a real place. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 6. He said, hey, family, store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust can't destroy and thieves can't break in and steal. If, if heaven were just a state of mind or a state of being or whatever, you couldn't store anything up there, could you? But Jesus says that you can store up for yourselves treasure in heaven. Why? Because heaven is a real place. Absolutely a real place. Number two, reality number two. Heaven is where God lives, and it's where God rules. Psalms 123 says, Lord, I look upward to you, you who live in heaven. All throughout the Bible, over and over again, we're told that God lives in heaven. But we're also told that heaven is a place where God rules. It's just not a place where he lives, but it's a place where he rules. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus told his disciples to pray like this. 
Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth just as it is in heaven. Beloved, the reason Jesus told us to pray for God's will to be done here on earth is because it's not being done down here on planet earth. If God's will was being done down here on planet Earth, there wouldn't be all the rapes and the murders and the abortions and all the crummy things that happen down here on planet Earth. So Jesus tells us, guys, listen, guys, you need to pray that God's will would be done here. Because it's not being done here. But it is being done perfectly in heaven. Because he lives there, and he rules there. Now, one of the things that we as Christians, you know, our, our goal is, uh, one, of the, one, of the, one of the bullseyes that we have is we want to know what God's will is, right? And we want to try to fulfill God's will. We want to live out our lives in a way that honors the Lord. We want to live out God's will down here on planet Earth. But all of us know, I don't care how long you've walked with the Lord, that we all blow it. We all blow it. None of us live out God's will perfectly here. Uh, one of the most godly people I, I know is Bob Wheeler, sitting right over here. Walk with God longer than I've been alive. Done some amazing things for, for the kingdom. Really has. But as godly as Bob Wheeler is, as long as he has walked with the Lord, as many verses as he has memorized and, and, and all the truth that he knows, he's still human. And he doesn't always live out God's will here. But in heaven, God's will is done perfectly. Um, so heaven is a real place where, where God not only lives, but, but, but he, he rules there. Reality number three, heaven was created for you, and it was designed for you. Hey, God didn't make heaven for himself. He's everywhere. He, he designed heaven for you. He created it for you. In Matthew chapter 25, it says, then the king, that's Jesus, will say to those on his right, the, the sheep, the believers, come, you are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance. What's our inheritance? The kingdom, heaven, prepared for you since the creation of the world. Beloved, since the beginning of time, as we know it, God has prepared heaven for you. He thought it through. It's a, a part of your inheritance. You see, you're not God. You will never be God. He is God. So, so heaven had to be designed for you. It had to be prepared for you. Because you're not God. God can be anywhere he wants. He can do anything he wants. He, he doesn't need, need a place. He's everywhere. He can, do, he can do whatever. You can't. You're but a human being. And so you had to have a place that was designed for you, created for you. And part of your inheritance as a believer is, is that God created this place for you. And someday you get to inherit it. My wife and I have thought through what our children are going to inherit when, when we die. We thought it through. Went to an attorney and sat down, and that attorney had us think through, you know, all of our assets and all of the stuff, and, and we went, okay, you know, uh, what are we going to give to the church? And by the way, that was the first thing we thought of. God has blessed us with all the stuff we have, and how crummy would it be when I finally die, or my wife dies, if we hadn't thought about the church? And unfortunately, a lot of people haven't. And then once we kind of settled that issue, it was okay. We got our three children, and, you know, we got this, and we got that, and who's going to get this, and who's going to want that, and I don't know, someone's going to want this, and I don't know, anybody want my jacket, and, and, you know, I don't know. But we thought it through, and so when we die, they will receive an inheritance that we thought through. It's what we want our children to have, and God did the same thing for you. He thought about it. And he said, okay, here's the deal. My kids, when you die, 
When you take your last breath, there's going to be a moment when you, part of your inheritance is this incredible place. It's a real place, and God rules there. He reigns there. He lives there. And it was designed for, for, for you. You see, God not only created planet Earth for you, Genesis chapters 1 and 2 tell us that, that Earth was designed for you. It was designed for human beings. Genesis 1 and 2. Well, the same thing is true about heaven. It was designed and created for you. Here, 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 here's, here's the bottom line. Uh, if you don't get anything else out of this message, get this. There's more to life than just the, the here and now. God created and designed heaven for you to spend your eternity there. You see, here's the deal. You're going to spend about 80 years here on planet Earth, maybe a little less, maybe a little more, but that's about it, which is a good thing. It's a good thing because planet Earth is all messed up. It's, in, it's an imperfect place because God's will isn't being done down here all the time. So who'd want to spend their eternity in a messed up, goofed up, sinful place? Listen to me. Maybe beyond the cross, the next greatest expression of love that God extended to each of you is this. Listen to me. Is the fact that you are going to die. Now we don't see it that way. We see death as this horrible thing, right? Oh, we wail and we cry, and it's just this horrible thing, right? Death. I think next to the cross, it might be his greatest expression of love towards us. Well, how does that work, Pastor Rick? Let me tell you why. In Genesis chapter 3, when sin entered the world, there was an option. We were either going to live forever in these sinful, cruddy bodies, or God was going to say, listen, here's the deal. I'm going to get you out of that body. I'm going to get you out of it. You're not going to have to live in that body forever, Sam. I love you too much. Hey, Mark, you're not going to have to wrestle with sin for eternity. I'm going to get you out of that thing. And so he brings death to free us from sin the bondage of sin. Because if we don't die, let me just tell you something. <laughs> what are we doing here? How crummy would it be to think we'd have to just live in sin and wrestle with sin all of our lives? But we don't have to. We live for about 80 years, that's about the average, and then we get to go and spend our eternity in a place, a real place, where God lives, God reigns, God rules, and it was designed with you in mind. He made it for you. He thought about you, and he created this place for you. Hebrews chapter 13 says, for this world is not our permanent home, we are looking forward to a home yet to come. And beloved, I hope this is true for you. Unfortunately, I, as I shared with you, I don't think it is true for most believers. I, I, I think they understand the fact that this isn't, you know, their permanent home. I think you get that if you're a believer. But I don't know if we really are looking forward. I mean, really looking forward to going being with the Lord. It might be because... We're virgins and we're about ready to get married. And we want to experience, you know, one of the great pleasures that God has extended to us. It might be that we're just attached to the sunsets and the sunrises and the oceans and the mountains and the flowers and the pets and our, the, our loved ones and all of that. But that really ought to be the case when you really understand heaven and you get it. Not only do you understand heaven's our permanent home, but man, we want to we wanna be there. Question number, question number two. Where is heaven? Okay, that's another great question. I'm asked that by kids all the time. Where is it, Pastor Rick? Well, here's the reality. The reality is nobody knows. 
Nobody knows where it is. I heard a guy on, uh, on a sermon who, who, who knew exactly where it was. In fact, he gave latitude, longitude, but I was just like, are you out of your mind? Man, are you in one of those states where smoking weed is legal? Did you smoke some weed right before you got up to the pulpit, man? Are, are you out of your mind? And I could hear in the audience, amen, brother, amen. And I'm thinking, who, who are they? They're, they're smoking weed. People should have gotten up and ran out the doors and said, this guy's nuts. Beloved, nobody knows where heaven is. Nobody. All we know is this. It's out of this world. <laughs> that we know. Well, we, we know that, right? Psalms chapter 14 says this, the Lord looks down from heaven on the entire human race. And that's the thought that the Bible gives us. That somewhere, I don't know, beyond the Milky Way, somewhere out in the galaxy, somewhere beyond the Hubble telescope and all that kind of stuff, somewhere, I don't know, out there is heaven. And that God is somehow looking down on us. That's the imagery that we're given. Now, now with that said, Okay, we, we don't know where heaven is. Listen to me. This is going to sound weird. We don't know where it is. But we, knew, we do know how to get there. Now, that's weird, isn't it? <laughs> well, you don't know where it is, but you know how to get there? Yeah, yeah. Well, listen once again to what Jesus said in John chapter 14. I want to read it again, different version. He said, don't let your hearts be troubled, Christians. Trust in God and trust also in me. Hey, there, there's more than enough room in my Father's home. There's more than enough room in, in heaven, in other words. If this were not so, I, I would have told you uh, that I'm going to go prepare a place for you. When everything is ready, I will come and get you. I'm going to come get you so that you will always be with me where I am. That's cool. And you know where I'm going. And thank the Lord for Thomas who said, no, no, no. We, we don't know the way. We, I, I need the GPS coordinates. I don't know how to get there. Help me. We have no idea where you're going. And Jesus told him, here's the deal, Thomas. I'm the way. I'm it. I'm the truth. I'm the life. And no one can come to the Father. No, no one's going to get to heaven. No, one, no one's going to get to that place. Unless... They come through me. Less I, I take them there. I'm it. I'm the only one who's going to get, get anybody there. He, he, he's the only way. Jesus said he's the only way you get to heaven. He's the only person that has directions on how to get to heaven, and we're going to talk more about this in a moment. So though we don't know exactly where heaven is, okay, we do know how to get there. Question number three, okay, question number three. What is heaven like? This is another one of those great questions. It's one of those questions that I'm always asked, especially by the kids, and, um, but the reality is, is that we know very little uh, about what heaven is going to be like. It's, it's kind of like a mystery. And part of the reason why God doesn't give us a lot of information about heaven is because it would be impossible for us to comprehend it. Okay, we don't have the, the mental capacity to understand other dimensions when we live in this three-dimensional world. I want you to think about it. We live on a planet that rotates in a circle. Okay, follow this. It rotates in a circle, and it takes 24 hours for our planet to go around in a circle once, and we call that a day. And then as that planet is going around in a circle, it's also going around the sun, right? And it takes 365 days for that to go around the sun, right? We call that a year. So our day is 24 hours, our year is 365 days, and it's all based upon the, the rotation of the earth and, and, and the rotation of the earth around the sun and all that kind of stuff, right? Now, if you weren't living on planet earth, you wouldn't have the same concept of time as you do now. In other words, if you lived on Saturn, it only takes about 10 earth hours to go in one rotation. 10 hours, earth hours. But it takes about 10,755 days for Saturn to make its whole rotation around the sun. So if you lived on Saturn, time would be a whole different thing. 
We, we only know 24 hours, 365 days. That's all we know. But if you lived on Saturn, it'd be way different just because of the rotation of Saturn and all, all, of, all of that kind of stuff. So how could we understand heaven when all we know is a 24-hour day and a 365-day? How, how, how could we possibly grasp that? Some of you are going, yeah, it would be weird to be on Saturn, wouldn't it? A day would be shorter. Some of you are going, that'd be pretty good. I wouldn't have to work as long. Maybe the workout, work day is one hour. And then you go to bed and you wake up and, well, how could you possibly figure out heaven when you can't even figure out Saturn, right? Listen to what 1 Corinthians chapter 2 says. No eye has seen and no ear has heard no, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. That might be the uh, theme verse for heaven. Basically what God's saying is, is this. Go ahead and dream. Come up with your wildest dream about heaven. And when you got it, God says, lame! Hey, look, I, I got an incredible imagination. I got one of the most vivid imaginations, and I can sit back, and I can imagine and dream and think about heaven, and God's going, man, you don't even get it. You, 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 you think you got it, but you aren't even close to what it's going to be like. You can't even imagine it. I remember when I was seven years old, uh, my mom and dad had divorced, and and uh, that was back when there were three stations, three, 10, and 13, remember that, okay? And you actually had to get up and go, tit, 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 tit. you know, you had to move the dial. You actually had to get up off of the couch. <laughs> if I can't find my remote now, uh, remote, I literally could be stranded on my couch for a week. Because I will not get up and go change the thing. My remote, where someone find my remote? I, I think that's why I got kids. I pay them to go find the remote. I'll give you a quarter. First one to find the remote, get a quarter. And they're hunting around, okay, thank you. Back in those days, you had to get up and turn the channel. And there was a Disney channel. They didn't call it the Disney channel. It was the wonderful world of Disney. And it came on on Sunday nights. And uh, this young guy was, uh, as a seven-year-old, was really going through some crummy stuff. And I could hardly wait until that came on. And it was magical to watch the shows. And they'd always show you parts of Disneyland or whatever. And I remember when my mom came to me and said, hey Ricky, I'm taking you down to Disneyland. And she waited until like we were leaving. Okay, she was smart, because I'd have drove her nuts. So we got in this, you know, 63 green Volkswagen. You have the grapevine. Come on, come on. It was like, like the Flintstones, man. I got my foot out the door, man, going like this, kind of a thing. And the whole time, Mom, tell me about Disneyland. Is it really as, as great as it, 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 it shows on TV? Is the Matterhorn really as majestic? I mean, is, does Mickey Mouse really live there? Uh, the whole time. And my mom and I talked about that trip for a, a long, long time. And then, you know, she, she did her best to try to explain to me how beautiful and, un, you know, unbelievable Disneyland was. And we're driving down the freeway. And she says, Ricky, look right over there. You can see the Matterhorn. And I'm and there was the Matterhorn. I could see the tip of the Matterhorn. <gasps> That's the Matterhorn. And I didn't know it was made of paper mache. I, I thought that was the real Matterhorn. I didn't know, man. They had guys climbing up it. And it was like, oh my God, they're climbing the Matterhorn. It was, and then you, you get to the entrance. I'd never seen a parking lot that big. The happiest place on earth. It should be the most expensive place on earth, but it's, 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 the, it's the happiest place on earth. I, and, and you drive in. And look at my mom tried. She tried. But everything she explained was totally lame compared to actually being there when you're a child. That's heaven. I know you're an adult, most of you. God, God, God knew. Look, I, I'm not even going to try to really explain much about heaven because you just can't get it. 
You live in this little world where this earth spins, goes around the sun, this is all you know. Laws of gravity, laws of thermodynamics, just, you're just governed by all this stuff. Heaven is so be beyond that. But the Bible does give us a, a thought or two, and let me give you them really quick. Number one, there's no sickness in heaven. There's no sadness in heaven. There's no suffering in heaven. There's no death in heaven. And you might be asking, well, how do you know all that, Pastor Rick? Well, the Bible says in Revelation 21, uh, as Pastor Scott read it earlier, he, that's God, will wipe away every tear from their eye, and there will be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain. All these things will be gone forever, and that's not a comprehensive list, by the way, but it's a good one. Heaven is going to be a, a, a place that's just free from all of that. Did you know that the Bible says that God has stored up every tear in heaven that you've ever cried? He's kept a record of it. Your tears, your pain, God knows about it. The Bible says in Psalms 58, you, that's God, keep track of all my sorrows. You've collected all my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. And do you know why God does this? Do you know why he's given us the imagery of capturing all of your tears and recording all the bummers of your life in a book? Do you know why? It's because he cares deeply about you. He had the psalmist write that so that you would understand just how much he cares about you, how deeply he loves you. But here's the deal, when you get to heaven, everything's gonna change. In heaven, there's not gonna be any sadness, there'll be no more broken hearts, no more rejection, no more loneliness, no more sorrow or sadness, no more grief, no more heartache. And that's just a small taste of heaven. God's gonna wipe away every tear from your eyes. There will never be a split second in a billion years or a trillion years or whatever it is where you'll live and, and be sad or, or have grief or be depressed. Never. Now let me tell you why there'll be no sickness, no suffering, no sadness, no death in heaven. The reason is, is there, there will be no sin in heaven. No sin. Heaven is a perfect place, so there can't be any sin there, right? And because there's no sin there, there can't be any sickness, there can't be any suffering, there can't be any sadness, there can't be any death. The reason why heaven is such an amazing place, one of the reasons why, is because there's no sin there. Sin is what has messed up planet Earth. Sin is what has messed up your life. It's what's messed up your family. It's what's messed up your marriage. It's what messes up everything. It's sin. No more sin in heaven, none. Now this brings up an interesting dilemma. If there's no sin in heaven, which is one of the main reasons, as I said, why heaven is so amazing, how does anybody get there? I mean, there's no doubt that you and I are sinful, right? Or let me just put it this way. I know I'm sinful. I know it. I, I, I've blown it more times than I could count. I've made mistakes. I've, I've said things that I wish I'd never said. I've said things that I knew were wrong. I've done things that I know were wrong. I've thought things that I know are wrong. I haven't always loved the way God has wanted me to love. I haven't always loved some of you the way God wants me to love you. I haven't always um, extended mercy to you the way God wants me to extend mercy to you. I haven't always treated you the way I'd want to be treated. I, I'm, I'm very much aware of my sin. I, I know I've blown it. In fact, I've had some things in my past especially before I gave my life to Jesus that I'm just super embarrassed about. I, I would never tell you about them. Just wouldn't tell you about them. In fact, if you knew about them, you, you wouldn't want to sit out there and, and hear me preach. And if I knew everything there was to know about all of you, I wouldn't want to preach to you. <laughs> kind of goes both ways, doesn't it? Um, bottom line is we've all blown it. I, I know, we've all blown it. So if God were to allow me into his heaven, I want you to know, all of a sudden, I've messed up heaven. All of a sudden, this perfect place would be messed up because God let me there. I know I'm sinful, and so all of a sudden, a little bit of sin now is in heaven. And I guarantee you, it wouldn't take long for me to mess heaven up. I know my sin. I know how I can be. 
And the bottom line is, imagine if he let you there, and 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 all of a sudden heaven was just filled up with a bunch of sinful people. Guess what? It wouldn't be long, 10 minutes, and heaven would be just like earth. Be all messed up. So how are you and I going to get to heaven with all of our sin? How does God allow imperfect people into heaven without messing it up? Well, I'm going to talk about that in a moment, but before I do that, let me just quickly answer question number four. Who's going to be in heaven? That's a good question, right? Especially in light of my last statement, heaven is a perfect place. Well, number one, we know that God the Father will be in heaven. We know that God the Son, that's Jesus, will be in heaven. And we know that God the Holy Spirit will be in heaven. We, we know that. I don't need to spend any time there. We also know that all the holy angels will be in heaven. Those are the angels who have obeyed God perfectly. All of those that chose to sin, those angels that chose to sin have become the demons. They're not going to be in heaven. But we do know that all the holy angels are going to be in heaven. And then number three, we do know that all true believers are going to be in heaven. Listen to what uh, Jesus said while he was dying on the cross to a man that was next to him, a criminal, a very sinful person. In Luke chapter 23, Jesus said, I assure you, criminal, sinner, crummy person, today you will be with me in paradise. Now, it makes sense that God's going to be in heaven. We get that. It makes sense that Jesus will be in heaven. It makes sense that the Holy Spirit will be in heaven. It makes sense that all the holy angels are going to be in heaven. The question you got to wrestle around with was, how did this crummy criminal get there? How did this sinful, crummy, I don't know what he did, but he did something crummy. How did Jesus look at him and say, I want you to know, you're going to be with me in paradise, which is a, kind of another word for, for heaven. How, how, do you, how did he get there? Why did God let him into heaven? Well, that's a, a great question, and that brings me to question number five. How does a person get to heaven? And this is probably the most important of all the questions. And let me just tell you this. Number one, you got to admit that you're sinful and that you need a Savior. And that was the first thing that this man on the cross did, who was next to Jesus. He, he knew he, his life was a mess. He, he knew what he had done was wrong. He, he knew that his life was sinful and needed a Savior. And the first thing you got to do if you want to get to God's heaven is you need to say to God, God, there's no way I can get myself into your perfect heaven on my own. I'm a sinner. I've blown it. Heaven's a perfect place, and I'm not. Heaven has no sin, and I do. I admit I need a Savior. I need to somehow have my sins forgiven. You have to get to that point in your life. And unfortunately, too many people never get there. Their pride keeps them from even admitting that. But you got to get to that point where you recognize, wow, I, I am goofed up, man. My, th there is sin in my life. Now, growing up, and I've shared this before, Mark Dobbins, my friend down here, we went through school together. We were great friends. Um, no one needed to tell Mark and I that we were screwed up, that we were messed up, that we were sinful. Now, we wouldn't have called it sin because we didn't know God back then. But we knew we were messed up. We knew we had done bad things. We had thought bad things. Um, we had said bad things, and we had done bad things. I knew I had done bad things. Now, I wouldn't have called it sin. I, that's a kind of a Bible word. But, but no one had to tell me that I, uh, I was messed up. I knew it. So it takes more than just ad admitting that you're messed up. It takes more than that, but you got to get there. You got to take a hard, honest look at your life and say, you know what? I'm messed up. I know heaven's a perfect place, and I ain't. So, how do I get there? That brings me to number two. You got to believe that Jesus is the Savior that God sent. You see, in Luke chapter two, it says, Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born for you. He is Christ the Lord. 
See, Christmas time, which is right around the corner, is a time when we celebrate the fact that even God, even though God knows everything about you, the good, the bad, and the ugly, even though God knows all about my sin, he knows all about the times when I didn't love you the way I should have. He knows about all the times when I didn't care about you the way I should have. He knows about all the times I didn't extend mercy the way he wanted me to. I didn't extend compassion the way he, he wanted me to. He knows about all the times when I knew the right thing to do, but I didn't do it, and therefore it was sin. He knows about all those times when I didn't care about others, the, the second greatest commandment. He knows about all those things. Knows about them all. And yet, he still loves me. He still cared about me. He still came for me. He still died on a cross for me. He still came and prepared its incredible place called heaven for me. Matthew chapter 1 says, she, that's Mary, will give birth to a son, that's Jesus, and you're to give him the name Jesus because he will save Rick Countryman from the crummy sin in his life that keeps him out of heaven. And you can put your own name in there. That's why he came. He came for everybody. But I don't get to make decisions for you. I only get to navigate my own life. And there came a moment when I recognized that, man, Jesus came for me and my sin. In John chapter 3, Jesus said, For God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but he sent his son to save the world through him. In other words, Jesus didn't come to point his bony finger at anybody and condemn you. That's not why he came. He didn't need to do that. We were already condemned. Our sin already condemned us. Our sin already messed up everything with the Father. It kept us out of heaven. Jesus came to forgive our sins. Jesus came to wipe away our sins. Jesus came to deal with the sin that keeps us out of heaven. That's why he came. He didn't come to condemn us. He didn't need to. We were already condemned. And there came a moment in my life and in many of your lives where I said, Jesus, I, I get it. I admit that I'm messed up and I need you to come into my life. And guess what? When I asked Jesus to come into my life, he did exactly what I asked him to do. He came into my life. And now when the Father looks down from heaven, he no longer sees all the sin in my life, which there's much. He doesn't see that. What he sees is his son he sees his son, his holy son, his perfect son in my life. And by virtue of my relationship with his perfect son, the father says, hey, countryman, you're perfect now, and you can now come into my heaven. Not because of anything you've done, because you haven't done things perfectly. You get to come into my heaven because my son made you perfect. I had a, a guy the other day say to me, ah, you know, the church is just filled with hypocrites. And I said, yeah, why don't you join because we've got room for one more. Just, you know, I get it. We're all, we're all goofed up. We're all sinful. None of us in this room have made ourselves perfect. It's only through Jesus Christ that we're made perfect. He's the one who makes us perfect. That's why all of our songs are about Jesus and we talk about Jesus and we preach about Jesus and we teach our children about Jesus and we give to Jesus. It's all about Jesus because he's the one who's made it possible for me to go to this real place, heaven, this place where God lives and God rules, this place that was designed for me, for you. He created it for us. He's the one who's made it, 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 it possible for us. Let me, let me deal with one last question here real, real quick. How, how does a, um, you know, how, how should we live? For those of us that, that are believers, how should we live? Knowing, <laughs> knowing, listen, we, we're, going, we're going to heaven, not on our own merit. So what does that mean? What does that mean for us? Number one, don't, don't mess around with sinful things anymore. 
Don't mess around with sinful things. Peter said, dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. For some of you, today is a day of repentance. You know Jesus Christ as your Savior. He's come into your life. He's made it possible for you to go to heaven. And you've been goofing around with your faith. Part of the application for those of us that are followers of Jesus is, man, I'm going to heaven, and so we got to stop messing around with just sinful things. Don't, don't do that anymore. Quit living that way. You see, the motivation for us to live a God-honoring life isn't that God's waiting to thump you if you blow it. God's just not, you know, okay, all right, Sam, I'm watching you. Okay, oh, Sam. Oh, you blew it, Gibson, boom! He, he, he's not waiting for you to show up at home and, you know, he's going to take you out with a left hook. That is not the God that's revealed in this Bible. God isn't wait, waiting to bust your chops if you blow it. He's a God who loves us deeply. And what motivates us to want to live holy lives is how awesome he is, how beautiful he is, what he did. He died on a cross for you, for me. He made it possible so we could go to heaven. Are you kidding me? That's the motivating factor. Not that he's ready to, you know, you know, oh, it's it. you, you know, you blew it. No, 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 number two, the second thing is, is don't be discouraged when crummy things happen to you. <laughs> Look, this isn't it. I know for some of you, I've been here a lot of years, and some of you, bless your souls, it seems like, you can never catch a break. You go from one thing to the next, and you know you're struggling with cancer, and then and, and, and then then you get through that, and and then something else crummy happens, and you then you lose your business, and and then something. It just seems like you can't catch a break. Here's the deal. This side of heaven, maybe you'll never catch a break. But, but this isn't it. This isn't it. Don't get discouraged because there's coming a moment when you're going to cross the finish line. You're going to be in heaven, not for the 80 years that you might be here now. You're going to be there for billions and zillions of years. So don't get discouraged. Allow the hope of heaven to encourage you. And last but not least, focus on all your energy on things that are going to last, things that are going to matter. It's unbelievable to me to see some of the shenanigans that Christians get involved in at times. A lot of juice and energy spent on something just frivolous. A lot of money spent on things that are just frivolous. Just to, look, look, you're going to heaven. Don't mess around with sin. Don't get discouraged. And then say, you know what, I want my one life to count for something. Maybe, maybe I could be used to help others get to heaven. Maybe God has given you the financial resources where you, you, you could give more so we can get out there and do some more of the things that we, we dream about around here. I don't know what it is. But this is what I'd like for you to do. Just close your eyes real quick. Over in the venue, close your eyes. I'm a little behind, but I got two prayers while your eyes are closed that I want to lead you in. The first one is for those of you who don't know Jesus. And God opened your eyes up this morning right here, maybe over in the venue. And you're going, you know what? I know I'm sinful, I admit it. But I've never invited Jesus into my life and so my sin would keep me out of heaven. And if you recognize that, if you recognize you need Jesus Christ in your life right now to cleanse you of your sin, to make it possible for you to go to heaven right now, in the quietness of this moment, you just need to say to him, Jesus, I admit my sin has messed things up. I admit it. And I, uh, I need you. I believe that you were the Savior. That was said. And I receive you into my life right now. Cleanse me of my sin. I want to spend my eternity with you forever in heaven. You've got to mean that. And then the second prayer is this while your eyes are closed. And for those of you that know the Lord, and maybe you just need to say, you know what? I've been messing around with sin. Oh, it's not sin that would disqualify me. It's not really horrible sin, you know. But it's sin nonetheless. 
And right now you just need to say, God, forgive me. I have not lived a, a, a God-honoring life. Maybe you're here and you're discouraged and maybe you just need to tell the Lord, Lord, I'm discouraged. I forgot about the great inheritance that's coming. Forgive me. Maybe your prayer is, is God, help me to use my one life now to make a difference. I need to get involved. I need to do something. I need to pray more. I don't know what it is. And while your heads are bowed, even over in the venue, listen, if you gave your life to Christ or whatever, we, man, go into the altar room and tell our spiritual leaders, our pastors, our elders will be in there. Just say, hey, I prayed today. I gave my life to Jesus Christ today. Maybe we can give you a Bible. We can hip hip hooray you. We can come alongside you and help you learn a little bit more about God. Maybe you're here and you're wrestling with something. Maybe you're discouraged. And you just would like the spiritual leaders to pray for you. That's what the altar room is for. Take advantage of it. Last night I watched a whole family walk into the altar room. And I could see some long faces. They were struggling with something. But I had great joy that they were going in and allowing the spiritual leaders to pray for them. Take advantage of that. Father, thank you, Lord, for our time today. And wow, Lord, last night was fantastic. Thank you for your Holy Spirit working. And this morning, Father, just great music, uplifting music. Thank you, Lord, for your word and this great topic of heaven. I hope it was a blessing, Lord, to those that are here. And God, help us to walk out of here different people because of our time with you today, God. And I pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and all of God's people said, amen. Hey, Lord bless you, okay?